Good morning, everybody. My name is Andrew Mook, pastor here at Sanctuary Church. Great to be with you. You may not know it. Uh, I didn't come up in a tradition that celebrated Lent, but today is the first Sunday of Lent. And at Sanctuary, this has become a really special and important season as we align with the larger church. Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, which, by the way, had a beautiful Ash Wednesday service online a few days ago. And it ends with Easter. It's a time where we intentionally journey with Jesus towards the cross and towards his death. So during this 40-day journey, we are invited to reflect and to repent and remember. So we reflect on our own humanity, repent of our sin, of our brokenness, and we remember God's love that's demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So traditional Lenten practices that help us in this process are to read, pray, deny, and give. These are four actions that we see Jesus participating in near the end of his life. He's fulfilling scripture, praying for others, denying himself, and giving to those around him. So our prayer is that in this season of Lent, uh, we will be uh, carving out as a community intentional time of contemplation and restraint, a time to address the legitimate longings in our life that have gone astray. And so as we look toward Easter, Our hope is that we would have the courage to journey with Jesus into the wilderness and up to the cross through these practices, that we might experience the hope and transformation and promises of resurrection. And so we've put together a simple prayer and practice guide for you uh, that go along with these uh, rhythms and practices. Uh, We have about 15 or so physical copies left So you can sign up for that in the chat and we will mail them to you. And there is a digital version that is already up uh, on our Lent site, uh, which is Lent.Church. We created a little microsite, Lent.Church, or you can get there via our regular website. Here, you will find parent resources, some new Lent-oriented learning communities, a prayer app, blog posts, new practices, poetry, uh, and a whole bunch more. You can keep going back to that over the course of Lent. Now, our Lenten teaching series will focus on the subject of the wilderness. Jesus was formed in the wilderness. God's people in the Old Testament were formed in the wilderness. By nature, the wilderness is deeply formative. It raises questions about what God is preparing us for. It reveals all the ways that that God provides that we don't often see. And it draws us towards his presence in meaningful and profound ways if we let it. The wilderness reminds us that struggle and uncertainty are critical to our transformation. Lent uh, has traditionally been a season when the church puts itself uh, in the spiritual destination of the wilderness. And I think what's fascinating about this and why I'm really excited about this series uh, is that uh, the global moment that we are in right now pretty much lines up with Lent. Like the thing that we're all feeling this, this, uh, this pandemic, this isolation from one another, this grand disruption in a way sort of is wilderness. And so we just want to ask uh, over the next six weeks, what is it that God wants to do in us? Uh, most, uh, most of us, if not all of us, are going to be tempted to do something uh, with a season like this other than grow from it or grow in it. Throughout history, there's almost always an invitation or a word uh, in moments like this. So let's press in. Let's stop 
and slow down and become aware of our aches and become aware of our pains and our temptations and just begin to discover like who we are becoming um, and all that God wants to do in forming us. So today, I am incredibly excited to welcome my dear friend, A.J. Sherrill, uh, who's going to begin our teaching series by looking again at Jesus's journey into the wilderness. Uh, it was a number of years ago that A.J. was right over here. Uh, we moved a bunch of these pews back and had like 50, 60 folks like crammed into this corner to... Um, when he had just put out this book called Quiet, and he uh, put together a whole weekend retreat for many of us. A lot of our leaders were there. A lot of you uh, remember this, where um, it was just a really powerful moment that helped us as a community lead into the contemplative, uh, lean into what it means to be a community marked by the presence of God. Uh, AJ has just been an incredible friend um, and, uh, and colleague, and I just, I love his family so much. He is such a gifted pastor and gifted teacher and writer. Um, He's been pastoring for like two decades. He's been in some of the most diverse church settings across the nation we met when he was in New York. Uh, he's the author of Expansive, which stretching beyond superficial Christianity, of that book Quiet that I mentioned, and his newest book, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation, uh, is just absolutely incredible. So uh, AJ is um, pastoring currently in Charleston, South Carolina, which is where he's coming from today, and he's going to share a bit with us, and then I will be back right after uh, to set up um, our closing time. Well, hey, Sanctuary Church, good morning to you wherever you are. My name's AJ. I currently live in Charleston, South Carolina, where I pastor an Anglican church here in the city. And it is just a joy to be with you in this way. It's been years since I've been with you in actuality, personally, and so it's really fun to be back in this way. From what I understand, it's Andrew's 40th birthday this week, so he wanted some time off to focus on friends and family and celebration of a life that is being lived well, and so it's a joy to step in and to serve him and you in this time. And I just have to say, when I think about Andrew, and Andrew and Corey, some of my favorite people in the world, when I think about Andrew Mook, I think about words like creative, one of the most creative pastors I've ever met. I think about words like faithful, faithful to the gospel, loves his family, loves the church. And I think about the word energetic, maybe the most energetic pastor I've ever met. He's the kind of pastor that when I go to a conference, I'm looking for Andrew Mook because I know I'm not gonna be bored because he's such a great guy and brings so much energy to life. And so I'm grateful for him. I'm so thrilled that you get to sit under his leadership. And I'm so grateful for the things I hear that God is doing in Providence in this time. So Sanctuary is stepping into a series on the wilderness. And that's really appropriate this time of year when we think about stepping into a season called Lent. So Andrew's gonna be walking through that more and more over the coming weeks. But I'll just say that I feel like in many ways, this entire year for us can sort of be summed in the word wilderness. I mean, it's been a strange year. I don't have to tell you that, but it's been a kind of wilderness year for many of us and not just in the States, but even globally. It's felt like a global wilderness in many ways. We've been forced into a new normal. We've been stripped of so many conveniences that we got used to. And more than anything, I think as Americans, we feel vulnerable to a degree that I think maybe we've never felt before as a people. 
And so in many ways, I want to suggest, and you've probably heard this before, probably because it's true, the Holy Spirit, I think, has our attention in new and unique ways to uniquely form us through this wilderness season. And so if you've never been to the Middle East, particularly in Israel, if you ever walk through the Ian Getty Desert, you know that very quickly the wilderness brings a kind of vulnerability, a kind of fragility, a kind of sensitivity that life feels threatened, that you could run out of water or you could be in danger very quickly. And it brings a kind of awareness of our dependence on God our dependence on one another, that the wilderness brings up all sorts of themes to us, that in seasons of comfort and abundance, things don't become as aware to us as things come aware to us when we are in the middle of a kind of wilderness. And so before this pandemic ends, I think I would suggest this at the beginning of this talk, before the pandemic ends, before this wilderness season that we feel like comes to a conclusion, and I do believe it will, Before it ends, may you bravely face the deserts that you're facing. And I pray that you would be willing to ask hard questions about what it is that God wants to form in you through this wilderness season that will carry you not only in this season, but in the one to come. Wildernesses are just strange places. In the Middle East, they're deserts. They're not like a bunch of trees that you walk through a forest. They're deserts. They're places of radical vulnerability and radical fragility. And there's something that we find, there's access that we get in those moments of feeling threatened that gives us a kind of um, 2020 vision into what it is we really long for and how it is that we can pursue it. So I love me some cultural analysis. I love talking about culture. I know your pastor loves talking about culture. He's particularly good at it. But sometimes, sometimes we need to take a step back and just have some good old Bible study. And so that's what I want to do this morning. That's what I want to step into today. So I want you to think about Matthew chapter 4. If you've never read that text, it'd be a good homework assignment for this evening. Kind of rest through Matthew 4 in terms of Jesus going into the wilderness in the season of Lent. And before Jesus is sent into the world for mission, we often think about his healing ministry, his teaching ministry. We think about the cross. We think about the resurrection. But before any of that happens, he's sent into the wilderness for formation. Let me back up for a second. Before Jesus is commissioned into the world for mission, he's sent into the wilderness for formation. And maybe that's what this season will end up being for us long-term, a season of deep formation that will move us in time into a season of unique mission. So that's Matthew chapter four, but we can't really understand Matthew four unless you understand Matthew two and unless you understand Matthew five. When you begin to see what comes before and after Matthew chapter four, it is brilliant what the text is trying to show us about the nature of Jesus and what God's plan is for the world. So if I take you back to Matthew chapter two, remember, Jesus is a baby at this point, and because of Herod's genocide, his parents go down from Bethlehem and into Egypt, and they stay there, right? They're waiting for the political tyranny of Herod the Great to sort of die out so that they can come back to their land and raise their child. But what's fascinating about this is that the ancient rabbis prophesied that the Messiah who was to come would be like a new and better Moses, 
So you're about to step into a series in Deuteronomy that Andrew's going to lead you through. And to really understand the realities of all these things Moses was showing us was a foretaste of a better Moses who would come, that the Jewish people would say, that's the Messiah. That's the one that we have been waiting for. But before Jesus, there was Moses, and that Jesus is a new and better Moses. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you and from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is Moses talking, saying there's a better prophet. There's a better one to come. Listen to him. Now listen to this. Check this out. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. And I will put my words, God says, in his mouth, and he shall speak. Listen to that again. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak. That the new and better Moses that would come along, that we now know as Jesus, that God would put his words in this Messiah's mouth, and that Messiah would speak. And it would be a fulfillment of the ministry of Moses. Okay, so let's back up. Jesus goes down to Egypt, right, after he's born. Who else grew up in Egypt? Moses. And Jesus doesn't just go down through Egypt, but then coming out of Egypt, he's led into the wilderness. Who else left Egypt and went into the wilderness? Moses. Jesus then fasts in Matthew 4 for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Who else fasted for 40 days in the wilderness? Moses. Now skip ahead to chapter 5 of Matthew. So I've been trying to show you so far that what Jesus, when he comes along, what Matthew is trying to show us is that Jesus is the new and better Moses that was prophesied all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. So when you skip ahead to Matthew chapter 5, in chapter 5, what does Jesus do? At the beginning of it, he goes up on a mountain. Who else went up on a mountain? Moses. In chapter 5, what happens? He begins to give a new teaching on Torah. Who else gives a teaching on a mountain? Moses. In chapter 5, the text literally says that Jesus went up on a mountain and he did something weird. It's weird that the text would say this. It says that he sat down to teach. And if you ever visit an ancient synagogue in the Middle East, if you ever visit an ancient synagogue in Israel, what you'll find contained in them is a seat that all of the synagogues would have where the rabbis would sit and teach. And this was called the seat of Moses. So Jesus goes up on a mountain like Moses and teaches like a new Moses. Now remember I said earlier to, to, to remember this phrase where God says, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak. If you look at Matthew chapter five, verse two, what happens? Jesus opens his mouth, the text says, and he begins to teach. That Jesus is the new and better Moses that the world was waiting for. That Jesus is and lives the fulfillment of Israel going down to Egypt, through Egypt, into the wilderness, and then into the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of the commission of Israel. He is the true 
Israel. He lives the story of the people of Israel. And he doesn't just live it, he lives it perfectly and perfectly fulfills the covenant for us so that we may be grafted into the family of God by grace. Listen, Matthew chapter four is unbelievable what it is trying to show us, that Jesus doesn't accidentally go into the wilderness. He's fulfilling the biblical plan. It's amazing. Listen to this text, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will commend his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put your Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will just fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Incredible text. Now, I'll just make a couple comments on this and be done. In chapter four, Jesus is tempted by Satan along three primary categories. In each of them, he responds from scripture. Three categories that the enemy tempts him in different dimensions of his human being. The first is this, he comes to Jesus and he tempts him after 40 days of being hungry, of fasting. He tempts him to create bread out of stones, right? The first temptation that I think the enemy is always moving toward us on is our temptation in our appetites, right? He tempts Jesus with bread, with the appetite of hunger. The second temptation that we find is approval approval, that if you are the son of God, prove it. You need to prove yourself. You need to prove that you're worthy. You need to prove that you're somebody, right? We go around being tempted by approval of others, having to be spectacular, having to show that we're somebody. The third temptation, right, where Satan says, bow down and I'll give this to you, is ambition. Appetite, approval, ambition. How often are we seduced to trade in a portion of our soul or our convictions or our loyalties in order to gain success, to gain status, to be seen as someone important, to get that next thing, right? So often that we feel tempted in the area of ambition. And it's not that any of these are bad. There's nothing wrong with having an appetite. There's nothing wrong with seeking approval to some extent. There's nothing wrong with having a kind of godly ambition. But often the enemy wants to twist these things to where we begin making compromises and sacrifices that begin to move toward idol worship. It begins to leave the way of Jesus and begin about project self, about being spectacular, about all these ways in that we are fed lies and false scripts to not believe that we are exactly who God wants us to be. 
and that we don't have to earn God's love or approval or affection, that God gives it freely. So these are the three angles that Satan tries to trap Jesus in, in the midst of the wilderness. Let's just review them again. When you think about the appetites of your life, you think about ways of coping right now, especially in a wilderness pandemic season that we're in. Often it's easy to try to cope with things like overeating or with pornography or with a daily cocktail. I can't tell you how tempting it is for me and so many others after a stressful day, which seems to be day after day after day, to go home and just simply want to take the edge off with a glass of bourbon or with a cocktail or with a couple glasses of wine. And it seems like that becomes a daily habitual practice to where you can get to a point where you now rely on that part of your appetite in order to make you calm down and in order to quell your anxiety. And the spirit is saying, hey, trust me in the wilderness. You don't have to depend on your appetites. You can say no to them and know that I will give you everything that you need. So appetite is such a big way in which the enemy wants to come in our wilderness and tempt us to leave loyalty to God. The second one I talked about was approval. This is ways that our insecurities, if you're anything like me, it is so easy for my insecurities to drive me to sort of fashion my behaviors in such a way to gain other people's liking and approval. That it's easy to do this in the workplace. It's easy to do this in our relationships. It's easy to want others to see us on social media in such a like where, where we need them to see how important that we are. We need them to approve on what we're about and where we're going and all of those things. Again, these things aren't evil in themselves, but that they build up an advanced project self to where we think that we are lacking something. We think God is not enough. And the last temptation I talked about is the idea of ambition, right? Attempting to fill the void of our souls with the next achievement, the next degree, the bigger apartment, the next relationship, the next car. I think it was St. Augustine that said, God, we are restless until we find our rest in you. That the soul is always searching for something to fill it. And when that is ambition, that is outside of a peace that comes with knowing who you are in Christ, it always leaves us hungry and empty. That there is a kind of craving that our souls have that God alone can fill. So there's this myth of success that's constantly wooing you in, tempting you to believe that it's what can satisfy your soul craving, and it's a lie. And there's nothing wrong with each of these, as I said, but when we begin to depend on them as a kind of substitute, it gets us into all sorts of trouble. I think these are each coping strategies. You know, when I read this text in Matthew chapter four, it's fascinating to me how the dialogue between Jesus and Satan, it's not hostile or angry. It almost seems like Satan wants to woo us into things that we can really justify that, yeah, it's not so bad, like turning stone into bread. What would be wrong with that, right? What would be wrong with it is Jesus needing to prove that he's someone, right? Rather than just trusting that God will satisfy his hunger. So I want you to think about these. These three categories, appetite, approval, ambition. You know, when I think about, there's a place in the text where it says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. You know, I know that he wasn't tempted with some of the 21st century technological things that we have or contextual things that we experience every day. But I will tell you, these categories of appetite, 
approval, and ambition are categories that ring throughout the centuries, that every single human that has ever lived has been tempted along one or all of these categories. And so I think it is true when the text says he was tempted in every way we are, and he, he succeeded beyond it and trusted God and didn't succumb to the temptations of the enemy. So when you think about appetite, or when you think about approval, or when you think about ambition, like which of these do you think right now has its grip on you more than the other, more than the other two? And even within that, find something specific. What specifically right now is it easy for you in this wilderness season to reach for as a kind of coping strategy, as a kind of substitute, as a kind of, well, we're in a hard season, so I just need this in order to get me by to the next day, or this is helping me cope with the anxiety that I'm feeling right now in this moment. These are relief strategies. And what Jesus shows us in the wilderness is that God wants to call us to something deeper than relief. God wants to call us into renewal. See, relief is short-term. Relief addresses symptoms. But renewal is long-term. The renewal addresses our core soul needs, the things that we really long for, the thing under the thing under the thing that the Spirit is constantly saying, look at that, pay attention to that. The the wilderness actually invites us to see for the first time because when life is comfortable and things are going as we planned, it's so easy to miss what is right in front of us. But when life is hard and we're in a desert and we're in a wilderness, we reflect more and we get deeper about what it is that God is calling us to. So, what we need is renewal, and what we settle for is relief. So I want you to think about it in this way. In your present wilderness, where is the Spirit calling you into the wilderness journey of formation? That it is a journey that we are on. And I want you to hold out your hand like a fist whether it's approval, ambition, or appetite, whatever it is specifically in that. I want you to imagine if it's alcohol, if it's success, if it's trying to manipulate the way people feel about you so they'll like you or so you'll get the promotion or whatever. I want you to to, to hold on to that, to clinch that, to feel the weight of that, right? And so I just want you to hold that, name it, and clinch around it because that's what's happening in you in this wilderness season. And the invitation for you as you journey through Lent is to name the places where you're seeking relief right now. Get really clear and specific. God, I I sense that I have been seeking relief in this way. And it's not that it's inherently evil, but it's that it is where I'm going to cope with life. And I need instead to let it go. I need to let that thing go. I need to let that person go. I need to let that mindset or that worldview or that belief, I need to let that go because it's actually killing me inside. It's always over-promising and under-delivering. And with that, as you clench that fist and open up, what is it that the Spirit is truly wanting to do in you in terms of renewal? You know, we sit here this day 
because Jesus was formed in the wilderness. If Jesus wasn't formed in the wilderness and didn't succeed over Satan, if he didn't triumph over those temptations, his ministry would never have flowed, his empowerment, his call of the disciples, the cross, the resurrection, none of it would have come to fruition because Jesus would have been just another failed member of Israel and the human race who did not live into the standard of God's covenant. But he didn't. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the covenant and because of that was sent out in mission to the world. And I just wanna let you know that the things you're clutching to for relief will always prevent you from operating in full mission in the world. The anointing that God wants over your life, the call that the Spirit has over you. So may you, as you come to the table today, wherever you are, may you know that God loves you dearly, that you have everything that you need in Christ, and that you can let go of that which you're holding onto, and to know that God will give you everything you need on this wilderness journey to satisfy your soul cravings. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord give you peace. Amen.